Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Wait, 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 wait. Let's start all over. Let me ask you three questions. Did you have the choice of something to eat this morning? Did you have to make a choice as to what clothes to put on to come here this morning? Did you have a relatively comfortable place to sleep last night? Well, guess what? 80% of the world, including 80% of the children you just saw in that video, cannot say yes to all three standards. So irregardless of what your situation is right now, by the world's standards, you're doing great. So how are we this morning? Thank you. We so often forget God's blessings on us. As Pastor Rick said, my name is Don Woody. I am a missionary with New Tribes Mission, have been with New Tribes since 1980. And normally when I go to a missions conference, I'm talking about the totally unreached out there because we're like the Star Trek organization. We boldly go where no one's ever gone before. The only way they'll ever hear the gospel is if someone comes, learns their language and culture and presents it into a, a, a culturally relevant fashion for them. But having lived in five countries on three different continents, today I live just outside of Orlando. I don't live over there. So now I'm absolved from all my responsibility to witness, right? No. Because you see, God has sent us. We are the sent into church. We're sent into community. We're sent into the world. And that world starts right when you walk out of your door. Maybe ends in a tribal group in Papua New Guinea on the other side of the world. But it starts right here. So right here, what are we to do? Well, about 10 years ago, the fellow in the wheelchair, Peter O'Driscoll, his wife, his name's Isabel, excuse me, Isabel, and uh, Isabel's best friend, who happens to be my wife, Janice, the lady with the silver hair that was in the video, that's also Rick's cousin, uh, my wife, Janice, and, and two others started Orlando Children's Church, and, and I kind of, I've participated through the years, and our whole family participates in the ministry, and, and the first day we had nine kids. Yesterday, they had 14 buses roll out and bring in over 450 kids. They go into a, the, the community in the surrounding Orlando area that um, the ghetto down there are run-down trailer parks. And they go into these trailer parks where drugs, violence, and prostitution. Mom can be a prostitute. Dad's flavor of the week. Drugs and violence are the norm of the day. And we pick these kids up and bring them to a central location. They're divided by... Fit, fit, for, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, divided by grade. Middle school, high school go together. My wife Janice, that's Rick's cousin. My, uh, my wife Janice does the Bible teaching for the middle school, high school group. And we teach these kids about God. And we're, we're trying to step in and help them break that cycle of dependency that they're growing up in. No fault to their own. So this morning I want to talk about being sent into community. You see, I found that Jesus, he also had a problem getting his church, his people, to recognize that they were sent into community. 
They were sent to their community, where they were. Because you see, it says in Galatians that Jesus arrived on the scene in the fullness of time, at the exact right, proper time that God wanted. In, in Genesis 12, 3, we find that God makes a promise to Abraham that through his descendants, they're gonna, he's going to create a people. And the whole design of that was to be a blessing to the nations. A couple thousand years later, by the time Jesus arrives on scene, the nation of Israel is like a football team playing without an opponent. They're just all in a huddle by themselves. It's us. It's God. God loves us. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He doesn't love them. He loves us. Aren't we good? And Jesus spent his entire ministry trying to get his disciples to lift their eyes up and see there is community all around them. The very fact that he gave himself a title, the title that Jesus used for himself is Son of Man. It comes from Ezekiel and Daniel. Ezekiel used that title of himself 87 times. It's Ben Adam. It's the son of Adam. Or colloquially, that would be understood as the son of all men. He didn't say I'm the son of the Jews. I'm the son for all mankind. We see that at the very beginning of his ministry where he's in the synagogue, the hometown synagogue, you know, homeboy going back to church and they bring him the scroll and he opens up and he reads. And the place where he reads, he says this, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And he says, this day this has been fulfilled in your ears. And they're like, heretic, who is he? And he says, you know what? Just like Zarephath the widow with Elijah and Naaman with Elisha, there's going to be more believers in the kingdom that are Gentiles. Wow. We see it in, in the book of uh, in Matthew chapter 8 with the Roman centurion. The, the, the Jews came to Jesus and said, you know, even though this guy is of the occupying army, they're the ones that are oppressing us, this particular individual has kind of treated us okay, uh, so it's okay for you to go ahead and go and heal his. We're not sure if it's his servant or his son. Could be, you know, the way it's written, it could be either or. But I uh, would just say it's his son to go heal his son. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go. And, and the, the centurion, that means he's a commander of at least 100 men, sent word, said, Lord, you're, I'm not worthy for you to come unto my house. Just speak the word because I'm a man under authority, having those under me. I say to this one, go, he goes. I say to this one, come, he comes. So just speak the word. And you know what Jesus does? It's kind of like this. Wow! Boys, do y'all see that? Man, I have not found such great faith. No, not in all of Israel. Who's he talking about? A centurion, an occupying soldier. And he's trying to get him, look, guys, there's going to be others besides just Jews. We see it in the, with the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. This is, some versions say Canaanite, some say Syrophoenician. What that means is she was a Philistine. She was from the historical, traditional enemy of the Jewish nation. Not only is she an enemy, but she's a woman at that. At that. Two strikes against her. And she's begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus finally says, have I come for the dogs? You know what Jesus just did? Verbally walked up and slapped the lady right across the face. Called her a dog. Can you imagine? I bet the disciples were going, Oh, yeah, Jesus, tell her, man. 
You see, the, uh, in the Jewish nation at that time, they didn't use the word Gentile without having the suffix dog on the end of it. It wasn't that they were Gentiles. They were Gentile dogs. And I think Jesus was using this to show their prejudice. Maybe not in a, a very metropolitan culturally city such as Toronto, but in most parts of North America, the church is extremely segregated. By race, color, creed, and economics. Shouldn't be that way. I think he was drawing an example to their prejudice. The woman falls at his feet, worships and says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to lick the crumbs from the master's table. And he marvels again. He said, Woman, great is your faith. As you have believed, go ahead and go. Wow. A Gentile dog. We see it in the Samaritan village in Luke chapter 9 where it says that at that time Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so which meant he was just planning on passing through and he sent some guys out there supposed to, to prepare the way, you know, find them a place to stay, whatever, for the night. And when the town found out that they weren't planning on staying a while, you know, they got upset and they just, they refused. They said, no, we don't want him to even come. If he's not going to come and heal some folks here and stay some here and do some ministry here, then we don't even want him to come through. Now, that really ticked off James and John. James and John were called the sons of thunder. You're not given a name like that in that day and time without a reason. Trust me, if James and John knew that Judas was dipping his hand into the money bag, taking money as Scripture says he was, he wouldn't have had to go hang himself. These boys would have taken business. They would have done him in. Trust me. And they got ticked. And they're like, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven just like Elijah and wipe these boys out? We'll do it, Lord. Just give us the word. You know, I mean, they, they were ready to rock and roll. And, and, and what does Jesus say? You do not know what spirit you are of for The Son of Man, the Son for all mankind, did not come to destroy men's lives, but to seek and to save that which is lost. We see it with the Samaritan lepers. Ten lepers on the side of the road crying out, Lord, Son of David, heal us. Come heal us. You see, as a leper, you couldn't enter into community. You would have to walk around with your hand over your mouth. And as soon as you got within 30 feet of somebody, you had to yell out, Unclean! Unclean! So that they would know not to come anywhere near you so that they don't get leprosy. And Jesus says to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. Now, here is a great sidebar. This is a great lesson on what faith truly is. Manly Beasley says that faith is acting as though a thing is so. When it is not so... In order for it to be so, because it is so. Did you catch that? Acting as though a thing is so, when it isn't so, in order for it to be so, because if God says that it is so. So Jesus didn't heal them right then. It says that they got up and went walking towards the priest. Because you see, if you got healed of leprosy, you would have to go to the priest. He would examine your body, make sure there was no leprosy anywhere. Then he'd wave the wand or whatever he did and pronounce you clean. You can now enter back into society. They started off towards the priest and it says, as they went. 
they were healed. But yet, one of them returns and falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships him. And Jesus says to his disciples, Hey guys, weren't there ten lepers? How come it's just this foreigner, the non-Jew, that has come back to worship me? See, he's constantly pointing them in the direction that they are sent into community all around them. We see it with, in John chapter 4 with the lady at the well. You know, she's gone to the, to the well at the wrong time of the day for most people. And that's because she was a woman of very, of ill repute. Probably a prostitute. Had at least four or five husbands. Not a very good reputation. Would have been scorned and, and spit upon and stuff as she tried to go at the normal time. So she's there in the middle of the day. Jesus is sitting down having a discussion with this lady of ill repute. And she is interested in spiritual things. You can tell it just by the very depth of her questions. Jesus reveals himself first to this prostitute, if you will. My wife Janice, you know, the lady with the silver hair in the video, Rick's cousin, um, sitting on a couch in a trailer, talking to a woman, and at 10 minute intervals, three men knocking on her door. Not today, George, looks at the time. Not today, Bob. Not today, Bill. But interested in spiritual things. Wow. We really don't think of people like that. Being interested in spiritual things? Hmm. All that to bring me to Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can look in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Wow! I can imagine Peter, James, and John, you know, the fishermen of the group. They're on the Sea of Galilee. This is the, the it's really a lake. Um, they call it a sea, but it's a lake. And, uh, they, you know, Rick can tell you, that they call everything, you know, the Kidron Valley. You know how the Kidron's Valley is this ditch that runs between Old City Jerusalem and the, the hill that goes up to, you know, Mount Zion, or uh, the Mount of Olives, rather. They, they call everything really big there, but they're really kind of small. The disciples would have known what's on the other side of this lake. They knew who the type of people were. They had fished this lake all their life. They knew what grazed on the hillside on the other side of this lake. They had pigs. Lots and lots of pigs. They're like, Lord, we're Jews. We don't do pigs. Besides that, pigs stink. 
You know how bad pigs stink? I never knew how bad pigs stink. So I was, I was in a dugout canoe in Venezuela, South America, on the Padamo River, cruising down the river with a bunch of Yanomami tribal people. And we're just, you know, and I'm new. I've only been there like six, eight months, you know, and just running down the river. And all of a sudden, they're screaming and hollering, stop the boat, stop the boat, pull over, pull over. And I'm like, what's going on, you know? And they say, there's a, there's a herd of pigs crossed right here. I'm like... How can you know? Says, can't you smell them? I'm like, I'm smelling all kinds of things, uh, you know. And, and finally, I kind of got in the right spot where I got a good whiff of the smell. And I was amazed. They jump out and off they went, chasing down the pigs just by the smell. And they could have passed by hours before. Stinky pigs. Oh. The people there, they're just not like us. They smell different from us. You know, most of these kids, they smell. You know why? Can't buy soap with food stamps. Didn't know that until I started working with kids that pretty much live off of food stamps. Wow, they smell. Uh. You know, you smell. You do. I was in Kenya, and I asked the Kenyans one day, I said, I said you know, what are us white, what are us msungos, um, uh, what, what do we smell like? Because I said, you guys smell to me, so I know I got to smell to you. And they're like, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 seriously, you know, tell, tell me, what, what do we smell like? You're like, you white guys, you smell like rotten milk. Rotten milk, yeah. Well, I started thinking, you know, the milk on cereal, the dairy, the cheese, all that kind of stuff, you know. They meet a man as they go across. Well, first off, they had to launch out. You cannot be sent into community without untying your boat. You have to launch out. It's a step of faith. To step out by faith to go into community. And that community could be next door. We just built a house in 2004, moved in, and there was a plus 80-year-old man next door. And as I talked with with relatives, even though he has a daughter that's a, a Christian, and his wife was a believer. She had already passed away by the time we moved next door to him. Just a hard, hard man. Uh, very much a drunk, beat his kids from what I found out. But you know what? I have a little son, my youngest, his name's Quade. Doesn't know a stranger in the world. And befriended Mr. Lamp. And would talk to Mr. Lamp. And Mr. Lamp started having heart problems and started going into the hospital. Dad, we got to go see Mr. Lamp in the hospital. Wow, Okay. Let's go. We barge into the hospital door. There's the three children and their families in there. My, you know, at the time he was eight years old, come busting in. Hi, Mr. Lamp. Talks to Mr. Lamp before he goes. He says, Mr. Lamp, we're going to pray. Let's pray, everybody. You know, this eight-year-old kid, lead him in prayer. Tell him about Jesus. Wow. Sent into community. We have a guy named Isaac that comes to OCC. He's a black kid. It's, I mean, his, he's tall. His shoulders are wide. He came straight out of the street gangs. I mean, the first time he came, he had the do-rag that said who he was with and 
all this kind of stuff. And Isaac got saved. And I mean, when I, got, when I say he got saved, I mean, he, he, in the southern sense, he got saved. <laughs> Isaac, you know, we have a testimony time and just unbelievable testimony in these kids and you know, Isaac says, I was, I was at the Publix, which is a local grocery store. I went in to buy a two-liter bottle of pop, you know, and, and, and I bought the pop and gave the lady a $5 bill, and, and she gave me change, and I was walking out. I saw she gave me change for $20. Now, in these kids' world, that's cha-ching, yeah, baby. You know, I, 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 I paid for it, but I, I got more money to boot, you know, and God said, hey, Isaac, you got to go straighten this out. Goes back and says, excuse me, miss. But I'm sorry you gave me the wrong change. And all of a sudden the lady starts screaming and hollering and, ah, ah, you know, I can't take it anymore. And I was just like, I didn't know what to do. And the manager comes over and dismisses the girl and, and he makes the change right, you know. And, I, you know, I'm a little bit confused. And, and I walk outside and, and I see this girl, she's about 21 years old, sitting on the bench crying. Very cross-cultural situation here. Isaac walks up and says, excuse me, ma'am, can I help you? And she, he said that, that she started pouring her heart out and basically she was at the point of committing suicide. And he says, ma'am, I, I don't know a lot, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. You have to launch out to be sent into community. Sometimes you hit a storm or two along the way. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples, they ran into this huge storm. It's throwing them back and forth. They're getting scared. They're like, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. And... Oh, right. They had Jesus in the boat. Hmm. Were they going to die? Only if he wanted them to. When we hit those storms, and for OCC, they've been many, we have to recognize that Jesus is in our boat. He's on our side, figuratively, literally. We have to make it. And his desire is for us to go to the other side. And they encounter a man. The man that they encounter, it says, Oh. When he stepped out on land, verse 27, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Oh my goodness, you remember the movie? I see dead people. This guy really did. Because you see, that's what he would go to sleep in a tomb. It's like, move over, Georgia. You know, I need a little more room in here. He slept in the tomb. They didn't bury people underground. They were buried above ground in a tomb, see, you know, and dead people. Anyway, he slept in the tombs. He was dirty. He was naked. Everything that you could imagine that if we saw somebody like that, we'd be, where's my wallet, where's this? I'm going the other way. And he meets Jesus. And of course, the demons recognize Jesus. And they cry out. 
And they asked Jesus, said, don't torment us before the time. Said, just send us into the herd of pigs. She's like, okay, I'll show them. Go ahead. There they go. They said it's like they were legions. We don't know. A thousand, two thousand, who knows? Just take it. There was a bunch. Go into the herd of pigs. The herd of pigs goes crashing down into the, through the lake there and drown. Probably didn't impress the owners very much. And those that owned the pigs probably went into town to tell their masters, you know, hey, something happened. And so the whole town comes out. And here's the point. Verse 35. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Wow. When we are sent into community and we come across people and... You can't expect them to live and be like a Christian should without the power of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be shocked by what they do. But when they come to Christ, it brings them into their right mind. One of the biggest events that we have in OCC, Orlando Children's Church, is, is the Christmas party. And we made a big mistake one year, about three years ago. We um, advertised. Normally we have about 900 kids on Christmas party day, and we had over 1,250 plus kids and had to send the buses out twice, make two rounds. And Unbeknownst to us, on one bus, in one community picks up a gang and another bus in another community picks up the rival gang and they meet at the party and they decided to play football which was an excuse to start a fight police are called not good won't do that again We have a lady named Susan Ball. Susan was literally saved out of a Buddhist temple in Thailand. Uh, An Air Force serviceman, U.S. Air Force serviceman, met Susan while he was stationed in Thailand and led her to the Lord and married her and brought her back. And they have two great, uh, wonderful young men that are serving our country in in military service now. And, And Susan loves the Word of God. And so one of the things that she does is she sets up a table so that as these, the older kids, they come and they can sit down at the table and they have to read a Bible passage and then one of the verses in that passage they have to memorize. And if they do that, then they get a prize and that, that prize is, you know, a candy bar, a little bag of chips or something. Six months after the fight, one of the gang leaders of the rival gang was memorizing scripture at the table. We so discount the power of God to work in the hearts and minds of the individual, we write them off. 
Don't even bother. I don't know if my friend's here today. I invited him to come. Met a guy on the plane yesterday coming up. He was a Sikh. He was shocked that as an American, I knew he was a Sikh because of the way he wore his headband. Guy's a engineer. Exceptionally intelligent. We had a great time talking about God. You know, just hanging out, telling them about God. Hopefully, my goal was to get him to take a step closer to the cross. And if there's enough people that come into his life that help him take steps towards the cross, one day he's going to meet Jesus in a way that he's never understood before. But when you see somebody that's dressed different from you or is your first inclination, hmm, probably not interested. Hmm. In their right mind. This past summer, we had a contest. And, you know, you did multiple things for the contest. You could memorize Bible verses. You could bring people. You could, there were so many things that you could do to earn points. And, and the top ten point earners got the big grand prize. Sleepover at the Woody household. Doesn't sound too big to you guys. It was amazing. These, these guys are like, Wow. They've never been inside a real home before. Never played table games. Roasted marshmallows over a fire. None of that stuff. It was all new to them. It's a good thing because that's all we had. (laughs) Well, we had a time of just kind of testimony and prayer. And I sure wish I had a tape recorder or a video camera playing. Because there's this kid, 17, 18 years old, about this tall, wide shoulders, very thick, not an ounce of body fat on him. His name is Luis. Luis is a mixed martial arts fighter. Luis, for several years, two or three years, had been organizing street mixed martial arts street fights for gambling purposes and was one of the fighters. The kind of kid that if you saw him on the street, you would turn and walk the other way. If you could have heard when Luis prayed and how he grabbed hold of the throne of grace... And poured out his heart with thanksgiving and gratefulness and sincere appreciation for everything that God had done for him. He was in his right mind because he had met the Savior, Jesus. Now for this formerly demonic-possessed man who is now in his right mind is to do the logical thing. Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to be with you. 
I mean, following Jesus at that time was a literal thing. You actually could follow him around. And Jesus says, no. What? Jesus says, no. Come again. Jesus said, no. What do you mean? Jesus told him, no. Don't want you following me. Oh, come on. Seriously. What did Jesus want him to do? Verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house, your community. Be sent into community and tell what great things God has done for you. Wow. Jesus sent him into his community for a reason. And we don't know how much time elapsed between verse 39 and verse 40. Week, month, eight months. I've read multiple commentaries. Most say it was probably 68 months. Time lapsed before Jesus comes back. But verse 40 says, So it was when Jesus returned... That the multitude, remember the ones that wanted to kick him out, tell him to go away, they were afraid of him? The multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Wow. Here they are, waiting for the Savior to return again. There are two classes of people in this world. There are those that are waiting for Jesus to come into their lives the first time. And those that are waiting for Jesus to come the second time. At his second coming. The problem is going to be when Jesus comes the second time. And those that have never heard and are still waiting for the first time. It's going to be too late. It's going be too late. So right now, as I speak these words, I bet there's somebody that you know, maybe in a class at school, maybe down your street, maybe a co-worker, that you know for sure God has been urging you to just open your mouth. And you've shrugged it off. You said, oh, they're probably not interested anyway. Oh, they might ridicule me, think I'm crazy. Never stopped me before. Most people think I'm crazy. Are you willing to be sent into your community? Pastor Woody, I don't know anybody that's not a Christian. Really? Get out of your house then. Go walking down the street. Go to a different mall. Something. Because they're out there. There's lots of people that you can have be in community with that don't know the Savior. Well, what am I to tell them? Tell them what Isaac told them. 
talking to a girl. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. That's all. That's all you got to do. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. You see, I trust and pray that he's done something for you. I trust and pray that at the barest minimum, you understand that God sent his only son, Jesus, down to this world to die on a cross and make a payment, the payment for sin, in your place. And by believing that message, you enter into possessing eternal life. It starts now, will last for all eternity. You enter into relationship with the Father. You enter into a position to glorify God in a way that you never could before. He's done at least that. But I trust, because I could bore you with all the miracles God's done. But you see, they're really not miracles. They're just called in our household, God normal. God works something out. Oh, that was God normal. Uh, you know, I open the check there. Have you ever opened the mailbox and had a check for $10,000 from somebody you did not even know? When you desperately needed to make a payment. It happened to me one time. Not every day. But God's done so many things. It's just God normal. The problem is, as Watchman E says, we're so used to seeing subnormal Christianity that when we see normal Christianity, we call it abnormal Let's decide here and now to live the normal Christian life, trusting God, undoing our boat and launching out into community and trust the power of God through the word as administered by the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts and lives let's pray god thank you so much for your word thank you god that you have done so many things in my life and my family's life that your everyday occurrences in our house is just god normal god help us to understand That we are to be sent ones, sent into community that starts right when we step outside our front door and goes all the way around the globe. God, help us to have the faith to recognize you're in the boat with us, to not have fear. Not let any fear overcome us. Put us past any prejudices we might have. Lord, the love that you have is overwhelming. May we be so consumed by it that we can love even our enemy. Even that person that maybe took our job. 
even that person that just isn't likable. Help us, Lord, to help others be in their right mind. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus told the Gadarene demoniac to stay where he was. And so he did. And he went around all over town saying, there is no one like my God. That's what it says in the text. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And because he was faithful in that, they were ready when Jesus came to meet them. You may not be the one who leads the person to the Lord. Maybe someone else. You may be getting them ready for the Lord. Be faithful. You know, I was thinking about a great challenge for us, personally, as we take this text that's been shared with us. How about writing down your story? What has God done for you? So that you have it in your mind. Think about it. And everywhere you go, just... Offer yourself to the Lord and say, I'm going to tell people this story. I'm going to tell what Jesus has done for me. Get ready, because he'll take you somewhere. Our Father and our God, we, we want that to be our challenge. We want it to be personal today. You're asking us to stay where we are, to, to go around the town, Durham region, tell what Jesus has done for us. Get them ready. So that when you come calling on their heart, they'll expect you and they'll receive you. Father, would you make that real in our lives? Would you, would you, would you challenge us, Lord, to take this personally? That this conference is a, is a turning point in our lives personally. We want to be those people who have hearts full of Jesus and tell them there's nobody like my Jesus. And we just believe they'll want you too, Lord. We are the sent into church because Jesus was sent into our world for us. And like that, he says, I'm sending you. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.